The final verdict of Pontius Pilate. Romans 3, 24 and 25 tell us why Christ was sent. Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, to appease, that is, the wrath of a holy God against his people's sins. That is why he was sent. And that is why now he is being set forth by God. Through faith in his blood are we saved. Thus the necessity for the world's court. Pontius Pilate was handpicked by God as the final judge in the case of the state of Israel versus Jesus of Nazareth. However, in God's mysterious plan of redemption, divine justice would finally be meted out upon the sins of all God's people through Christ's substitutionary death. It is Good Friday, a day that will go down in infamy. For Jesus, it is anything but good. But for his people, it is indeed a good Friday. Let us once again tune in on the ongoing court saga to see what is the final outcome. And it happens in seven scenes in our passage. The first scene, the morning the Jews were outside waiting Pilate's verdict. They could not enter into the praetorium, the headquarters, the courtroom, because it was a festive holiday in which they would defile themselves if they were to do so by going into the room of a Gentile. Pilate's verdict of Jesus was innocent. He said in verse 38, I find no fault in him. That should have settled the whole matter. Well, actually, there's more to it than that. Pilate was in a quandary. How to get Jesus released? Because the way that the mob was looking now, there's no way that that's going to fly. 39. But you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? They cried, then cried they all again saying, not this man, but Barabbas, who is also marked for execution. Now Barabbas was a robber. Actually, Barabbas was a terrorist. That's more than just robbing stores and robbing and pillaging people's homes. It says in one place in Mark 15, 7, and there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. The Jews despise terrorists, like they do to this day. They're always being attacked by terrorists. But their contempt of Christ was greater. Not this man, but Barabbas. Can you imagine to choose between two evils and to choose one who truly was evil to be set free over one who was totally innocent. According to the scholar Origen in early church history, the full name of Barabbas actually means, and the full name of Barabbas actually is Jesus Barabbas. Jesus was a common name. Like Joshua is a common name which means Savior. 
Barabbas means the name son of a father. So the Jewish crowd wanted Jesus Barabbas, son of a father, instead of Jesus, the son of the father, our heavenly father. Scene 2, verse 19. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. He hadn't scourged. And by the way, this was a strategy on the part of Pilate, another backup plan, because the first one failed, to appease the Jews, hopefully so that they will have pity on Jesus and allow for his release. Scourging was a horrible punishment. Using a whip with several, even up to nine, leather thongs, at the end of which were pieces of metal and stone and bone, whatever can flail the flesh. Later, it would be called Cat of Nine Tails, later on into history. And why they were called Cat, I found out, is because... The marks that they leave were like the scratches of a, of a cat's paws on the back of its victim. But yet, bones would, uh, bodies would be lacerated, sometimes even down to the bone. That's how terrible it was. And some even died from it. Jesus did not die from it, as we know, because there was something greater awaiting him, the cross. But this would prepare for that. It would significantly weaken him and dehumanize him to the point of utter despair. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes. The bloodletting did not just happen at the cross. It was already happening already at his scourging. And now we come to scene three. And it says, and the soldiers, verse two of chapter 19, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. The soldiers twisted and wove together thorns from a, probably what was a date palm tree that were up to 12 inches long thorns into a crown. It says in our text that they put it on his head. It almost sounds like they just gently laid it on top of his head. Maybe for symbolic reasons only. No. They didn't just put it on his head. They pushed it into his skull so that he bled even more in his head, even as he was bleeding elsewhere throughout his body. And they threw on his back a purple-colored cloak or robe, which happened to be the color of royalty. And then they shouted out, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! While some at the same time, would slap him in the face or hit him with their hands. It was said elsewhere in the Gospels, they put a, a reed or a cane in his right hand, a 
And then they bowed their knee as they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. Spinning upon him. And then one of the soldiers taking that reed from his hand and then hitting him with that reed on the head so that he bled even more. Scene 4, verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man! One of the most well-remembered words of Scripture and of history pertaining to the man Christ Jesus. Look at him. Look at him. He is beaten, black and blue, bruised, swollen, bleeding. What do you see? How can this be any threat to you? You brought Jesus to me to judge him, and I judged him. I find no fault in him. Let's be done with this. Let this end now. Let him go. Scene five. The sight of Jesus in abject humiliation did not satisfy the Jews, as is indicated in verses six and seven. They cried all the more for blood. Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate, you take him, you crucify him if you want. He's innocent. There's no more I can do. We have a law condemning him to death because he claims to be the Son of God. They bring another reason than the fact of sedition, that here is someone who is being for authority over the emperor of Rome. And they're using as their claim the charge of blasphemy. Because in Leviticus 24, 16, it says, And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregations shall certainly stone him. That's how they did it. That was the means, not crucifixion. Under Roman rule, as we learned last time, the Jewish hands were tied as far as being able to carry out any capital punishment of any kind to anyone, even for something as heinous in their law as this charge of blasphemy against their God. Scene 6. Verse 8, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. In the mind of the Greek co-Roman men like Pontius Pilate, Jesus must have powers like their pagan gods. This is probably what was in his mind. He could take vengeance against me for what I'm going to do to him or, or have done to him. So what does he do? He goes back inside. Where are you from, Jesus? Verse 9. Silence. Why don't you talk to me? Don't you know I have power to crucify you or to let you go? Verse 11. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. 
In other words, there's an authority greater than you. Therefore, he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. Pilate, God is sovereign. The God of the Bible, my God. Yet you will be held responsible for your sinful actions and not God. For allowing you to do what you're going to do. And so will the ones who turn me over to you. And they will have the greater sin in comparison to yours. And why? It's for the same reason that those who hear the gospel are more culpable, more responsible, and will answer to God in the day of judgment for the rejection of Christ. They rejected the one who is their great I am, their covenant God. He established that with them already, plainly, from Scripture. He is their Messiah. He is the Son of God with power. But he's holding back because he must do the will of his Father and finish his work. And there will be no deleting of this truth, of this gospel, from your memory banks. Not when it is built into your very DNA because you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Because you are in the image of God. You're his image bearer. And though it has been marred by sin, yet it's still there intact. And there's no removing this. It is in the record of your conscience and the word of God. The last scene, number seven, verse 12. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him more than ever, he is now totally convinced that he needs to let Jesus go. Because for one thing, he doesn't know who he is dealing with. And he doesn't like unknown, what is unknown in terms of making judgments that have to do with the life of an individual. There's a conscience with him, even as I recall in the uncle of my wife who was a judge that married us, who told me later when we witnessed to him. And he told us, I believe, that he might know that, as a judge, that his desire was for mercy and how he would do everything in his power to have a person's sentence softened or even altogether removed than to have a man suffer an exorbitant for the crime. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. I can imagine in Pilate's mind, he was already picturing himself washing his hands of the whole matter. And it says in verse 13 that he brought Jesus forth, set him, sat down in the judgment seat in a place that's called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. So this is another location where he went outside of the victorium, the courtroom, in a place called the pavement, which is probably overlooking the whole surrounding city of Jerusalem. Gabbatha means the rounded height, so you can picture that you can see all of Jerusalem from there. 
just like when you go to Dictionary Hill where we live, and you can see almost all of San Diego, even down to Tijuana. Maybe you went there to think things through before making this final verdict against the Son of God. It was noontime. After making his final decision, he brings Jesus before the audience one more time and makes his final verdict. Verse 14, Behold your king. Pilate, in essence, sentenced Jesus to death by crucifixion without actually saying it. But the world remembers Pontius Pilate as the one who did it. He never lived it down. The Apostle Creed tells of this. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, dead, and buried. Imagine the irony that Pilate rendered judgment on the one whom God the Father gave all judgment to. It says in the book of Acts 17, 30-31, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. The Jews were relentless. Away with him. Crucify him. Get him out of our face and out of our lives forever. Put him on that cross. We have no king but Caesar. End of discussion. Stop. Stop. But did not these Jews remember that their nation is a special nation? that is called a theocracy, a nation that was truly ruled by God. Unlike the United States, which is for all intents and purposes not really a nation under God as much as it says that in our preamble, meaning God is our king, and he's anything but that. But in Israel, he was. God was the king of the Jews. Jesus was the king of the Jews. Though they put on his placard later, he said it was written that he was the king of the Jews. Not only that, Jesus is the king of the whole world. And he is king of the whole universe. And he said before he ascended to his glory, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Is not my ascension into glory enough to prove to you that? World, continue your sin. I will be back. It says in John 1, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and yet the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, the Jews, and His own received Him not. They rejected Him. They cast Him out. They denied Him. His very, their very Lord, their Yahweh, they're Jehovah. They're covenant God. They cast him out. There could not have been a greater apostasy than that. There could not have been anything 
that can be described as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit than that. Imagine a whole nation committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not one to prove that, but based upon what they did with Christ, it would appear so. It would appear so. So, as the final result, Pilate turns Jesus over to his Roman garrison so that they would crucify the Lord. Proof that the buck stopped with him. It says in verse 16, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Sheep to the slaughter. In conclusion, in the minds of the Jews, the final verdict of Jesus Christ was guilty. In the mind of Pontius Pilate, Jesus was not guilty. But let the record of Pilate's court, the world's court, as I call it, show Jesus was judged guilty as charged. And yet all along, this was the plan. This was the plan. Now I'm not talking about human plans. I'm talking about divine plan. Not just of the Messiah rejecting and Christ rejecting Jews, but of a sovereign and almighty God. As I've even shared last time with you in Acts 2, 22 and 23. Acts 2, 22 and 23, if you turn there. Let's utilize our Bibles. You men of Israel, and this is at Pentecost, with the preaching of Peter and the conversion shortly thereafter of the thousands in revival. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Yes. Your hands, your wicked hands did it. You did it. But let's not forget, God ordains all things that come to pass, while at the same time he is not the author of sin. We are the authors of sin. And the Lord is clear from any culpability which is on our part. Nevertheless, out of this dark and wicked act of men, God would bring forth eternal good. Jesus would be the Father's sacrificial lamb. As Peter would later note in his epistle, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. It is not by works which we have done. But with the precious blood of Christ, 
as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world and was manifest in his last times for you, who by him do believe in God, you have come to faith in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. That is why this had to happen in the matter that it did. Question. And I'm speaking to you, but I'm speaking to others, especially those who may be here and who may not be in the Lord. Do you believe in such a God as this? A God who would do this to his own son? Would you not count it reprehensible, for example, if in the history of the life of Abraham that he actually went through and actually murdered his son? Would you still count yourself, you who are Jews, the sons of Abraham, if he had done that? But in this case, a God who would use the world's tribunal and Pontius Pilate, its judge, not to acquit his son, but to pronounce his son guilty as charged. It's not for his own sins, for he had done, for he is the sinless son of God, but for others who are guilty before God. Others like you and I, whose sins have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, who have been cleansed at Calvary forever. All of our sins, past and present and even future sins. This is the God of the Bible. There's no other like him. This is why all, the, all other religions, especially Islam, do not appreciate, if not altogether, dislike and despise what Christ did when he went to the cross. God is not like this. And yet the hypocrisy of it all is that they would tolerate terrorists and bombings of human lives. Do you believe in this God? Is the question I would pose to you, my brethren and my friends. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Christ? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful to you for our Lord Jesus Christ. What a precious Savior he turns out to be for us, especially as we hear the story of redemption as it is played out in your scriptures. Oh, help us to love him more. Help us to serve him better. Help us to be true and good followers, faithful followers of the Lamb and go wherever he would have us to go, wherever he goes. And Lord, make us truly thankful to you so that we, enough so that we would desire to tell others of him that they too may be saved. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask all of these things with thanksgiving. Amen.